listening to the Ed Reach Network. Ed Gamer, Episode 11 on EdReach, 3D Game Lab from Boise State University. This is Ed Gamer. Ed Gamer is part of the EdReach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. And this is where Jerry would go, a big voice. That was pretty good. This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We'll give you the education angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We'll discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I am Zach, and Jerry's not here, but I do have a guest today, so I missed you, Jerry. I, I really do. I have a guest today, Chris Haskell, and Chris, why don't you give us a little information about yourself? Uh, I'm Chris Haskell. I'm from Boise State University. I actually teach future teachers um, in our educational technology department. Um, most people know Boise State's ed tech through the master's program. We have students uh, everywhere. There's probably a student or two in your house uh, right now as you speak. Um, but I get teachers ready to go and teach. I teach them how to use technology in the classroom. And I talk about the same types of things that you talk about, which is how to make games work in your classroom. I like that. I do, I, too. <laughs> My name is Zach Gilbert, and I'm your host. I'm a sixth grade social studies and language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. So today we have uh, Chris joining us, and it's amazing how networking works out because uh, through uh, Lucas Gillespie from uh, North Carolina, and I share his stuff all the time about He's World so of Warcraft. Cool. He is he is super cool. Uh, and found he tweeted that, hey, there's this 3D game lab from Boise State University, and people should check it out. And so I go on there, I look at it, and it looks really cool. But I'm not going to get into the details because that's what Chris is here for, and then I get to <laughs> roll up a lot of questions and, and try to figure this out. So how did 3D game lab – I guess what is 3D game lab, first of all? That is a fantastic question. Um, you know, and you're – uh, your podcast looks at uh, educational games, or rather, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna adopt uh, Jim G's yes, uh, way of looking at it, we've got to change the way we're talking. Because if if Jim G talks about it differently, then we have to change it. Um, he but, put me in my place. Hey, you know what? I was just listening, and I uh, immediately felt embarrassed and started writing lines on the board about how I will not say educational games anymore. Ah, we got to change our name of the podcast. I, I'm in trouble now. Yeah, but he's, I mean, he has helped to shift the paradigm and the understanding so much that, doggone it, we better listen to what he says. No, uh, okay, yes. so so people are still waiting, of course, I'm sure, on the edge of their seat to figure out what in the world uh, we're talking about. Um, hey, Chris, Chris, yes? what's 3D Game Lab? Hey, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked. We'll go in for infomercial mode right now. Um, actually, 3D Game Lab turns learning itself, whatever that looks like, into a game where you score points, you gain rank, you complete quests and missions, and you get awards for doing school stuff. It turns your classroom into a metagame. Okay. So how? give me an example of how, how this would work. Okay. Um, can I use the example of my own class? Sure. Okay. So if you're, if you're going to be a teacher in the state of Idaho, you go to Boise State, there's a good chance you'll take my class, EdTech 202, which is a class about how to write rubrics, how to use Word to correct, uh, you know, writing assignments, um, how to create, you know, good PowerPoints or prezzies, 
you know, how to use tools of teaching in the classroom. Um, you would come into my class, and in a traditional format, we would have a syllabus and a gradebook. Every student completes every assignment in the gradebook, supposedly. And at the end of the semester, they get a grade. If it's high enough, they pass. If it's not high enough, they have to retake or, or change their major. What my <laughs> class does, what my class does is take all the types of things that they would learn in that class and turns those artifacts, activities into a game. So rather than sitting down week one and saying, all right, this is what we're going to do this week. This is what's due on Saturday. The students have, for the first time in many of their educational careers, choice. What are you interested in? What do you want to choose? Um, and they actually begin working through the curriculum um, independently or in small groups by choosing the things that they want to interact with. Well, I'm, I'm interested in this quest. We talk about quest-based learning, and this is a system built in quest-based learning. What, what's a blogger? You know, what's blogs? Uh, you know, they may watch a short video on blog. When they complete it, they may write their understanding in a comment field and they get 15 experience points. And they start building these experience points toward a winning condition. They can okay, so, right. So I, I find out what a blog is. Okay. Excellent. And, 15 and points. Congratulations. 15 points. So, okay, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm the teacher. Okay. They find out what a blog is. Do they just type up, here's what a blog is? They explain it, and then do you grade that, and then they get to 15, or is it right then and there? That's a good question. In that particular quest, that's not one of the things that we believe that uh, needs oversight or demonstration. They're interacting with a short um, – and we, we all know the um, the Plain English uh, series by Leela Fever. Great stuff. We just have them watch. You know, they, they choose to watch that. When they're done, they, for their own purposes, just come up with a, a, their own description of what it is. Then they get points. But as soon as they do that, the system then gives them another quest that they can choose from, create a blog. And through the course of selecting the things that they're most interested in, some which they choose because they have more comfort with it, um, others because they, they like the point value or someone sitting near them is, is working on it, they actually work their way through the curriculum in a very organic, very personal way. Um, it, this is not just in theory anymore. We've actually been teaching this course this way, or at least I have for the last year. Over 100 students through the course, completely game-based. So you're, you're building. So, okay, what is a blog? Okay, maybe create your own blog or review some blogs, what makes a good or bad blog. Exactly. Uh, as they're completing that, then they get experience. And then I'm guessing there's a boss. <laughs> you kill the boss down the road. <laughs> you, ha you have the end the end game. Right. Uh, what would something like that – I'm guessing completing a blog and having it at a high level, that would be your end game for for this type of maybe quest. maybe Maybe for these quests. But um, – to, to look at it big picture, um, you know, it's it's a, a way a way that we can deliver the learning package that we might normally just you know constrict into some specific boundaries for them in a whole new and highly motivating way. Mm -hmm. um, the students can actually track their learning across different uh, tools, uh, different you know conceivably uh, sections and classes and 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 those types of, of pieces. Um, I think the best way to kind of visualize it is think about it this way. Um, there are lots of different ways to learn the same basic idea. And, and for us as teachers to assess 
whether they know something. There are a lot of different ways that we can do that. So let me right. ask you a question, and and we can ask the listeners simultaneously. They'll have to talk to their <laughs> radios, and, right? And we can hear you at home, by the way. So uh-huh. um, my question to you is: Would you rather? And this question is for Zach, of course. Would you rather yes. jump off a ten meter diving platform? That's the big Olympic one. Uh huh. Or would you rather swim a hundred yards in the pool? Given the choice, we. I'd rather swim the 100 yards. Why? Uh, I'm afraid of heights. You're afraid of heights. Okay. Um, so do you you would say feel more confident about swimming the 100 yards? Um, I don't know if I'd feel confident. I'd be doggy paddling for most of it, but <laughs> I could get there. You, but you feel a higher degree of confidence that you could do that successfully. Oh, I could jump off the off there. But, I mean, you know, it's – I don't know. It's it just seems that it, especially if you're afraid of heights or jumping from that distance. Yeah, I mean, I could say I'll, I'd rather do the hundred yards. Okay. Well, and you know what? When we ask a you know a, a big group of people which which they prefer, we usually end up with about a fifty fifty split. The people who would jump off the high dive say, well, it's easier, or it's more fun, or uh, it's quicker. You know, and mm-hmm. people who would swim the hundred yards, you know, say things. I that's it's not as scary. Um, it's maybe harder. It's good exercise. Yeah, it's good. There, there are myriad reasons that individuals choose one task over another. But in traditional education, we don't give them the choice to bring in their background, their knowledge, their skill, and their comfort in selecting ways of showing us what they know. Right. Um, really, in, in this activity, all I want to see is can you get in the water? Can you swim a short distance and can you get yourself out? It's all about acclimation um, and basic, uh, you know, skill. I'm not. I'm not trying to see how fast you can swim that. I'm not trying to see if you can put some flips in your dive. None of those things matter. What I'm assessing is built into those two activities, but allows the participant to choose something that's meaningful. And this is the fun part that includes some of their own personal context in a decision, things that we as as teachers, try as we might, may never fully understand. Right. So learner choice is at the core of this approach to delivering instruction. Now, really good instructional design in a, in a quest-based environment gives a number of choices. Now, when, when we create the blogger assignment, it's not because we anticipate that every teacher is going to create a blog and, and be active in a blog. We want them to have that experience, but it's just one way that we can demonstrate it for us. We, we follow the ISTE standards, ISTE standard two, uh, mm-hmm. which is to design and develop, you know, uh, learning environments and, and assessments. So that's what we're trying to get out of it. That's our diving board or 100 yard kind of activity. We can show what we need to with this activity. Some students who have blogged before are all over it. Oh, I love this. This is fun. They, Attend to that and and choose that much faster than uh, than they may if it was mandated. Right. Student choice has an incredibly liberating quality to the way that students and, and this has been in my experience in my classes um, at, at the at the speed and interest which with with which they approach um, their their own learning. So the sounds great, and this is what you know got me sucked into you know. The website contacting you, oh, yeah. uh, thanking Lucas, and you know, okay, this this looks really good. It looks wonderful for the students. Now, how as a teacher, 
<laughs> how do I go about? Because if I'm adding a myriad of different activities, then how am I setting this up? Is this something that I do or is this, or is this something that's already built in? That's a great question, he said in his best infomercial straight man voice. <laughs> and we, by, by the way, for the folks who are listening, we, we didn't plan this, but these are really good, you know, questions that, that we're excited about answering. And so if, if my zeal comes across that way, it's because, um, these are things, you know, and this question specifically is something that we thought about early on and we're excited about the prospects of this. And what if you weren't excited about this, I'd be, I'd be concerned <laughs> because this is, yeah. I mean, this is, we love what we do. I love being a teacher. I love using, you know, different activities within my classroom and and you are loving putting this together. And yes. if we didn't have, I mean, we're very lucky that we we have jobs that we actually thoroughly enjoy. Yes. So, you know, if you didn't have the zeal, then I'd be quite concerned. Teaching, teaching is an occupation of artistry. And when we can, we can flex our artistry within what we do. Um, it's tremendously fulfilling. We just love it, and and I think you and I both share that, and probably many of the teachers who are listening. We're, yeah. We love we love the artistry in teaching, um, but it takes time. It does. It does take time. Okay, and so that's that's where I'm looking at is like, okay, how in the world is this? If it's already made, okay, that's great. Then <laughs> I'll probably have to go in and edit, you know, because I'll have to f- make it fit my style. Or do I create this from scratch? Well, the our system, the one that we created, was built because we. Um, about you know, let me give you just a little background, and then it'll make sense about how you put thing, how, how you in essence infuse curriculum into a system. Okay. Um, the game lab system itself is a way of taking individual learning activities and applying a game layer over the top of them. And as I mentioned before, that that game layer is scoring experience points, uh, gaining rank as you move through levels of experience point. Um, you know, completing different quests and missions and getting awards, badges, and achievements for, for, for these types of, of things. And that's, that's an important thing to, to kind of bring back up because it adds a game layer to the things that you're already doing in class. Um, so it, it could be, um, completing, a, a map assignment. It could be completing some type of activity for my classroom all the way to, uh, you need to play civilization. Uh, on these yes. settings and complete, you know, uh, complete this. Give me your scores. Give me your data. And mm-hmm. once you're done, take some screen and, caps for me and show me what you did. And then drop it in here and let me know about it. And then they gain experience that way too. Yes. Um, and a really thing, important thing I think to point out right here is that people and and you get this, and and I think many of your listeners probably get the idea that um, that we can take traditional games, games that were not designed for specific educational purposes. And us as the teachers, as the artists, can apply the context necessary to make whatever that activity is meet the curricular needs. That's that's the magic of what teachers do. We can't program that into a computer. That's That's that human element where we can say, you're really good at soccer – Let's do an activity that allows you to use what you do well and apply it to what we're doing here in in geometry. So, and I I, I could have I could have a lot of things planned out ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I could also just all of a sudden on a whim because this happens. Um, you need to um, because we're getting into the Middle Ages. You know why were castles built? Why what was the purpose of the castle? And maybe kids go you know at home. 
tonight. They research it. They find some information. They cite it. They might give some pictures in there. And then, you know, I create the assignment on there. And then, you know, when it, once I'm uh, done with class and then they go home that night and put this all together and then they answer the question at home. Right. Is that what you're – is that something yeah. that could be done? And and if you know, and if a student said, well, this is cool, but you know what? We have this game um, you know, that we found online. Do you remember the, uh, the early 90s uh, game Rampart? It was an arcade game. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. you know Rampart. Uh-huh. Um, there, there's an online Flash version of it. What about um, – Writing that down. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what about actually placing and embedding that game in a quest? And asking some questions. Play 10 rounds and suggest what makes castles uh, stronger and what makes castles weaker. What mistakes you know, would you avoid in building a castle? And does that match what you believe to be true about castles? So they're actually interacting with a, with a physical model of it. You, know, you bring up castles. But, right. but that's, I think that's the artistry in the teacher. Like, oh, I know this game. I wonder if we can direct their attention to think about it in a, in a different way and give them an experience by which they can do this. Now, whatever the deliverable is, is what's important to us as a teacher. Maybe it's, maybe it's write a, a paragraph. Um, maybe it's have a conversation with me about this. Maybe it's you know, come up with some guidelines and write them on a piece of parchment. You know, and hang it in the classroom. You know, um, I have parchment. All it's readily available in my classroom. <laughs> Excellent, and scrolls, and, and, and scrolls, and, and you know, and quill pens. So, the, we're the, good. remember, those were educational technology of their day. Uh, and we're not we're, <laughs> in some classrooms. We're not much further along than that. But. That's true. That's true. Um, so, so to get back to your to your point, um, and I think it's a really good one that in this system, the curriculum is built from the ground up by teachers and students in a way that actually meets and demonstrates the national standards okay. or the state standards or the school well, requirements. Or, uh, or the common core standards, which will be, yeah. you know, especially for soul size, will be coming out yep. this summer. So, um, uh, and, and, and the system, the way we have it built right now is, um, is set up to actually tag those things. But to back to your original question, which I'm sure people have already forgotten about, which was how do you get how do you what, put this all together? How do you yeah. want? How do you get what you want your kids to do into right. this system? Because ultimately, we're talking about not a twelve assignment type of uh, curriculum. We're talking about a forty to fifty choice uh, system where people can choose the things that interest them um, and work on the things that that are most inspiring to them or meet them where they are. Now um, you're, you're okay, so. You're going from, which is good. You're starting. You know, I'm not a big <laughs> standards. That's a whole another discussion for another right, time. Right. But, but if you are going to do this and you're using standards, you always start with the end of mind. So you're starting from the standards. And actually, you're look- we're we're creating a system where the standards can be tagged to the individual quest. And the reason that we do that okay. is so that you, as a teacher, and the learner themselves, and anybody who's a stakeholder, anybody who's interested, can look at the student's profile for your class for whatever the group is, and see where they are. You know, they have you know seventy five percent of their points in standard one, but very little in two, three, and four. Uh, you know, okay. the system can eventually uh, start to suggest things that help them fill in the standards that they haven't met based on other tags that they meet. In much oh. the same way that YouTube and other social media sites 
recommend things to you based on the tag connections. Um, okay, so I th- I think I, I I think I have this. So you have the standards. I would tag them, so I would have uh, certain uh, activities, mm-hmm. and then they would be tagged. And as a teacher, I would want to make sure that I'd have all areas covered and and and, and tagged. Even even better. You as a teacher, and to, to get back to your original question, which I've been successful at dodging Sorry. for some time. I, <laughs> I might be running for political office soon, so this is good practice. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I would never run. Um, the, you know, the quests and, and learning activities can be entirely yours if you want, but the system itself, which uh, this summer will have 500 of the, uh, the United States' best teachers – um, this is the size of the camp that we're going to run this summer that you you alluded to that uh, that you're involved in. Um, yeah, I, you know, I got to back up there. You said 500 of the best teachers, and, and I don't know if I can put myself in 499 <laughs> of the best teachers yeah, and you, and Zach, one <laughs> and one bad. <pattern. laughs> no, I'm just give you a hard time. Are going to be filling the system with their quests. You're, in fact, the the camp this summer actually teaches people good pedagogical design of quests, which we've developed over the last year of using this system in our double-secret Skunk Works location. I mean, really, we've, as I mentioned to you before we started talking, we've, uh, we've had the, the gag order on us a little bit um, because the, the tool is so revolutionary. Um, it, it looks to completely reframe what we think of as a learning management system. Um, but every quest in the system, every quest in the system is searchable. By tags, by standards, by grade and content area, so that if I create a fabulous quest that you really want, every quest that is created in the system is is covered by Creative Commons licensing, specifically attribution and remix. So okay. you can take my quest, bring it into your class, um, reframe it, change the deliverable. You know, add some more information, drop in a video. You can remix my quest. The attribution is still given to me as the awesome Chris Haskell who created it. <laughs> um, and but but that is then available to you. Can search this huge database of learning materials, this ever expanding database of learning materials, and uh, by by the things that are important to you, whether they be standards, content area, grade level, uh, tags. You know, if you want to see all the really cool. Uh, social studies voice threads. You can search by those standards and find any quest that has a voice thread in it and that has, you know, a, you know that standard. You can actually pull that into your uh, curriculum. So you can. Okay. You- now, now I haven't got more excited because, okay, I sit here and l- let's say, you know, because this is happening in August, correct? Correct. And I create uh, all these different quests for civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use civilization four. And, and, and haven't been able to use it really that much this year. But um, if I create these quests, um, then it's available to everybody else. Correct. And, and they can use – if I could come up with – I could come up with soul studies. Well, I mean yeah. historical quests. I could come up with uh, economic. So I could, I could run the whole gamut, and people could search for these and pull them out. And me also, if I'm looking for – maybe I don't have anything on – I want to teach medieval Japan or something yes. or you know Japan in some respect. And then somebody else has created something, whether it's in civilization or whether it's some other game or technology – uh, I can pull that quest in and drop it into my area. Absolutely. You know who else can uh, suggest quests for your class? 
The students? The students. They can also search the database. So if they've got a real interest and, and maybe, maybe they're kind of fishing around in your, in your class and maybe there's not a quest that really excites them. You can say, you know what? If you want to do a little bit of searching, um, you can, you know, you'll find one and you can suggest it. It, It'll, it'll show up to you and it'll be one of those types of things that, uh, that you can approve and add in, you know, the same structure we talked about before. But the, the students can have a voice. And I think it's a good point to kind of pause right here. Because that that whole concept of student voice is so unique. I want to I want to kind of talk about the paradigm shift. Now your your guest yeah. your guest um, last week Jim G. Oh, fabulous. Um, and as I mentioned to you before we started, um, I started passively listening to that podcast um, and quickly realized that there was so much meat in it that I had to take notes. I, I, I have to, I, I still haven't even fully digested it. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to do the same thing um, is take notes on it. So, and, and I, and I'm, I'm going to make an attempt here to quote him uh, a couple oh. of times uh, and, and really show off how, how much Good I pay luck. attention to it. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but okay. So this idea of the, the, the shift, the paradigm shift in education that's coming. Okay. And Sir Ken Robinson also yes. is another oh. one that has, has done that. So I just want to make sure he's mm-hmm. he's in there too. But go ahead. All right. So um, in in the late 1800s, mid to late 1800s, the paradigm of conventional schooling was built on the little house on the prairie model, largely. That I mean, you know, most of American society lived outside of cities, um, in small communities, and the people who had the say in what was important for the students to learn were Pa were uh, you know Nels Olson <laughs> were uh, Doc Baker they they were the community members who who got to say what was important for half pint and Mary to learn and Lorenzo was that the other okay sorry I'm really impressed I'm, I'm really impressed with you now if my wife listens to this she'll tell me and incorrect it may not be Lorenzo but um, anyway no, that sounds right it was that it was important right. for them they knew what was important for them to learn because they understood the world that they were going to grow up in largely. Mm-hmm. Um, when when Horace Mann came along, and in his time, his ideas were revolutionary in in a very good way, which was to take uh, academic knowledge about what should be taught and really raise the bar across the United States to really push you know uh, free education for all, and to kind of not standardize that because we really weren't at standardization yet, but to um, to bring that to a higher level. But remember that the purpose was to sort students. I mean, the quote I believe is to rake a few diamonds from the soil, which is yeah. which is where grading comes from. We don't think of that very often, but if we think of the root word of grading, we're assigning a quality to students and their work. And well, is that is that, okay? Now, just I might be dumb on this, but are you talking like grading the land? Um, I, I think of grading beef when I think of that. But yeah, oh okay. I'm not tr- like, not trying to balance. It's a it's a di- different uh, grading is G R A T I N G is right. It? I'm, uh, I'm talking about grading as in I I know oh, that okay, one, I'd... but I'm just saying I was thinking grading because you were talking about soil and diamonds. Well, I talk in riddles sometimes, so sorry. Okay, but I'll delete that part out. <laughs> go so, ahead. Go ahead. So um, we have this we have this concept. Uh, then when we're trying to find the best and the brightest, the people to go and to to do research in science, to um, you know, to create new drugs, to be doctors, we want to know who's got the aptitude for that. And that's what ha- that's what happened in, in the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. We needed to find the best and the brightest, rake the diamonds from the dirt. But we held on to this model um, far longer 
than we needed. As, as the, our country became industrialized and we moved into the 40s and the 50s and you know we have this swelling middle class, um, we still continued to grade students. So if you were a C student, you were not valued as high. You did not have the, the skills or abilities to do other, other things. You were a C student, and, yeah. and that carries with it a whole lot of weight um, and, and a lot of kind of social distinction. You belong here. We, we have evolved from that and what we know about how the brain works and talents that people develop and what intelligence really looks like. That it's not just based on this. When we, we have this argument all the time with standardized testing that I've got incredibly brilliant students who don't test well. Well, why is mm-hmm. that? Is it, well, um, it may be because they're not trying hard enough is the, is the thought. But really, we, we've come to understand, and teachers know this, that, that the, the, the testing function is broken. And we try to get it better, and we try, but it's still, it's still fundamentally flawed. So we, as, as a society, have moved away from this idea that students need to be sorted into, into best, close to best, you know, okay and crappy. You know, we have a 30% dropout rate in the United States. It's, you know, it's near kind of panic time. Um, every other part of the information revolution, um, has an information age has told us that the value um, and the choice belongs in the hands of the users. YouTube is what it is because of the voice of the users. YouTube wouldn't be if people didn't put videos, rate videos, interact with other people's videos. Um, Facebook would not be what it is if there was a team of people trying to put all of your information and type it in like Web 1.0 used to do. So mm-hmm. we've uh, – and so to bring this back to education, um, it, education often the, the slowest to react to major uh, trends, as we know. <laughs> yes, um, yes. We have continued to silence the student voice. And more recently, we're, we're trying to silence, well, we, the collective we, the, the system, the man, um, is trying to um, silence the teacher voice. Yeah. Um, the Borg. The Borg, right. Um, <laughs> the collective. We'll yeah. be assimilated. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. The more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm thinking, hmm, that's kind of true. There's, there's definitely some Star Trek parallels, and there are definitely some Matrix parallels in there, but we can save that for another day. Okay. Um, now, the social studies teacher in me has to stop for a second because <laughs> I, I, I did say something dumb. So, grading the soil is G R A D I N G, not great. That, that's like the great on a. Oh, okay. um, Metal great, uh, but uh, g- you mentioned the soil diamonds grading. You're grading the soil. I wonder if that's where it came. I don't know. Somebody out there can tell us when they can write on there. But uh, making sure that it's level. Right. So go ahead. Sorry, I just um, had to take care of my dumb moment. Well, so in essence, we've trapped ourselves in a paradigm where we continue to to deduct points from students and and I did it for years as a teacher um, when when performance was not um, at par you know what was expected they lost points and right. we create in our class a deficit that most students can't overcome now um, creative and, and caring teachers try to come up with ways that they can recover some of those points if they have a bad assignment and we have all different manners and, and ways that we do and that. one name I want to throw out there I don't know if you know Rick Wormley yes uh, he does definitely give a different vantage point um, you know zeros the the killer I mean mathematically it doesn't even make sense right um, there's a lot there's a lot to that and I do take a lot of his ideas in 
but you're taking it even further. It's we're still taking points away. We're, yeah, and 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 that is. I mean, so so we've kind of outlined the state of the way education works now. So from the moment you, the only time you are pure is in the first day of class, and until you start losing points, and then you're you're just trying to stop the bleeding. As it were, you're trying to <laughs> minimize the damage that you do to your grade. And students very quickly figure out that it's okay for me to not learn everything I need to do, not to do the best I can, not to pursue the things that right. I'm interested in, because really all I have to get is a B for my parents to not be mad. Right. I can blow this assignment off. I can not study for this test. Well, testing is another thing altogether. But but we're in this deductive model. We're always taking away. Our system, the, the game lab system, is built like a game. You continue to build experience points toward your goal. Things are built in, in a mastery level approach. So if you submit an artifact to me that's supposed to be a, a, you know part of a completed quest and it's not quite right, I can simply send it back to you in the system with a couple of change suggestions. Do this. And when they complete it, they've actually demonstrated that they know it. We've actually had an exchange, a learning exchange, where they're actually able to recover from their mistakes and fix it and send it back. Um, and that's that's formally. I yeah, mean, you know, mastery you, level. you should never, yeah, should never move on uh, until you've mastered, you know, what what you want. So now, let me ask you the question. The world, yeah. um, why do we force students to move on? Before they're ready. <laughs> well, my viewpoint, <laughs> and it might, there might be some errors in that, but my viewpoint is that uh, teachers, we feel that we are just kind of forced along, that we have to teach or cover a uh, certain material by a certain period of time. And, you know, we don't have time to do this anymore. We, we need to get this done. And, and I'm going to pick on, I'm not going to pick on math. I'm going to use math as, a, as an example because it's kind of how I was taught is that, you know, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, addition here or fractions. I was horrible in fractions. So, <laughs> right? you know, we would move, we would move on from fractions. We get done fractions. I, I did horrible. And then it was done. Fractions were done. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to move on to something else. Uh, we're going to move on to decimals or, or whatever it is, but um, you stopped learning about it and you never had a chance to build on it. Right. And I lost a lot of information. It's it, now that's changed a lot since I was in school, but we we definitely have this concept of of I have to cover my content. I can't stop and and, and stop everybody and wait until everybody catches up and move on. Yes, um, the, and you're exactly right. The re- and the standards, the, and you know, teaching towards the standards. The re- and the reason we do that is because that we try to move all learners at the same pace, right. and even at a good pace, even at a pace that is probably optimal for your class, if you're trying to move everyone together, fifteen percent are bored. Because they already understand this, not because mm-hmm. they're necessarily smarter individuals, but because they have some um, some other knowledge, some other uh, schema that they are applying to this that makes it easier to to bring in. Um, you, you think of language learners. I mean, if you took if you took second language students and they do this all the time and put them in a regular English class, um, would they not share the same schema that uh, you know? The, the other students, I mean, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have right. the same background. They wouldn't have the same experience. That, that doesn't mean that they're any less intelligent. And in fact, some of the smartest people I know 
um, are people who have learned multiple languages. I don't know multiple languages. I know English, and I'm you know, and I think that I think that that's an incredibly powerful thing. Okay, so it's it's built largely on a on a paradigm where we're trying to move all students together, which is fundamentally flawed because, as we know from from the research and our own eyes in our classroom, right. Um, Every student is different. They come in with different knowledge, skills, abilities, interests, desires, motivations, baggage. And our job as teachers is to navigate those things and help them attend to the things that that they need. But with 35 kids in a classroom, there's no structure to do that and maintain what a lot of people describe as reasonable classroom control. Right. Um, what we have tried to create here and, and has been successful in the university applications and in um, and in one uh, middle school test bed, a technology classroom, um, which I hope to be able to talk about here soon as we're, uh, the teacher and I are going to write up his experience and, and, and share that with the world, um, that, uh, that learner choice and allowing learners to work and attend to things that they are interested in and really meet them where they're at um, – is highly motivating, um, allows them to work toward a winning condition to your course that's always achievable. It's unlike the grading model where, where once they, they bomb that second test, the best they can do is a, is a B, B plus. Um, so the, the current model we have is that basically I'm seeing a downslope. Yes. You start at the top and you're moving down. Yes. You're, you're building. So you're moving up. You're climbing the hill or building the Absolutely. pyramid or, you know, whatever you want. And so instead of, yeah, so you're building up the confidence or the, the level of the student yes. rather than bringing, bringing them down. Okay. So let's go back to, cause a lot of people can understand what a math paradigm, I mean, everybody has had math classes. Probably it's been a very uncomfortable experience for them. And I think everybody, with the exception of the top 15%, you know who you are and we're not speaking to you right now. Uh, cause, <laughs> It's not me. Cause, cause you're, cause you're in trouble with us is, you know, the 15%, uh, sometimes 10 that, that really connect with it. Uh, and it, you know, for them, it's just, it, it's easier, uh, to, to build in, or at least the pace that we've given them is easier. For some, it's too easy. We, we start everybody on chapter one and then we're going to work through chapter one for the next two weeks. And here are the deliverables on these days. If you fail as a student to grasp it, more likely, because of the way it was presented and the specific techniques that were were shown to you, which which in most cases are very symbolic and abstract, right? They're not mm-hmm. they're not concrete. They don't connect to things that you know. Um, some kids get it. Some, some kids, kids don't. Some kids get it. Like some kids said. don't. Um, once you move past that point and you try to move the class together, you you lose uh, interest, attention, um, and confidence in students who failed to get it the right way. Um, math especially, if, you, if you're missing a piece, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to go on because math is right. so sequential and, and builds on these kind of mastery components. In a quest-based classroom, we're talking about the competencies, not the chapters, not right. even the types of problems, but the competencies. If, if I have three different introductions to this idea – and I can watch the first one and go, man, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's one way of visualizing um, fractions. I can say, you know what, that 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 didn't do it for me. Let me let me watch this other one. 
Um, and it maybe, oh, that makes a little bit more sense. And the student's starting to get it and gets in a discussion with another student and says, you know, this is fine and all, but I think the best way to visualize fractions is pizzas. You know, and no one mentioned pizzas in any of these examples. A teacher can then hand a flip video camera to those kids and say, now makes sense. Okay. Tell us what we're doing wrong here. Okay. Well, a fraction is like this. And so if you get, you know, if you get three eighths of a pizza, it looks like this. Yes, exactly. We can take that video, upload it, put it into a quest themselves, you know, give the kids credit for making their own meaning, give them some points in the system because haven't we just demonstrated that they understand? That principle in front, we can tie it right. to the standard. The right. system will then reflect that they got those points in that standard, and we're building we're building toward the mastery levels in each of these standards in the course. Um, we've not only allowed them to contribute to the curriculum. Um, you know, student voice has largely been silenced from the process. We we trust the people who haven't been um, a learner in that level in the classroom in forty years, thirty years, um, to make the decisions for those students. When in fact the, the students, and we know this from our own students, are some of the smartest people about their own learning um, yep. anywhere. We as teachers provide a tremendous amount of context, which helps them connect what we're asking them to learn to their own lives. But in, in many cases, they're just as capable of teaching each other, sometimes more effectively, than we are. Um, so giving them that voice in a set, so they create a quest, that quest gets picked up by a school across the, you know, the state, and they're using that quest and change it up a little bit. Um, there's a tremendous amount of velocity that gets created by successes within a system. And they got points for completing that. And we're growing our curriculum. And someone says, well, what's this quest? Oh, you know what? That was created by Michael. You know, Michael, he was an eighth grader this year. He was in this class last year. Oh, that's cool. Can I do that? You know, when the students mm -hmm. realize they've got a voice in it, it really excites them. I'll give you a quick example from my own class this semester. We started talking about World of Warcraft. Um, we had some uh, some college age students who were really interested in World of Warcraft. In my pre-service teacher education class, there is no World of Warcraft component. Excuse me, there was no World of <laughs> Warcraft component. Yes. So. So I, I, I just kind of engage them. And, you know, my, my job is as the provider of context for the, for my, my students. I said, well, is there learning that happens in that game? And they're like, well, yeah, there's lots of learning. Well, how does it occur? And we start talking about what's it like when, when you go into, you know, that very first, the new, new, uh, zone and you start learning some things. How do you, how do you figure out how to get to a quest? Well, there's this. Okay. So what's happening there? How do you know that? Well, these pop-ups tell you what to look for. Oh, well, that's good is, so you think iconography is important in, in, you know, designing good lessons for your students, showing them what they're physically going to, they're visually going to see. So this is why I start asking them these questions. What can we learn about good instructional design from this game? And so they created a quest where they go in and they play to level, I think, four or five. Uh, in one of the noob zones in World of Warcraft, and they're looking to answer some specific questions. How does the game tell you when something new is available to you? How does it introduce right. you to different tools? What's the order that it introduces? And then you ask them questions that um, that bring it back to their knowledge. Um, so from what you've seen in this game, if you were going to apply kind of a game approach to a lesson – what what do you think students need to know first? They need to know where to go. How do you know? They need to know how to move around. And then we you know so there are, there are these quests associated with this idea related to the video game. So they attend to it by playing, and then they're able to get the the meaning 
which is specific to my course out of the game. Just like you talked about the civilization piece, um, you know, we can help them decide what what's valuable to be learned out of that scenario and then let them engage in it um right. but but the cost associated with a textbook company um and frankly creativity associated with them <laughs> going through that same process um prevents it also the debates that will happen at the state level about well not every school has access to world of warcraft and how can we make this work those organic decisions can be made immediately and in the hands of the students and teachers who can immediately make meaning. It doesn't mean that we have to take World of Warcraft and make it a curricular decision across the state. We've, we've got to really look at, at the, the, the negative effects of, of deciding curriculum, not just content standards and what we want students to learn, but how they learn that, coming from levels that are so far removed from what's happening. And and that often silences these incredibly engaged and creative voices at the classroom level that you and I and our students have. I mean, it, and when we have a voice in it, man, we're excited. The students get uh, excited about the artistry in in their own in their own learning. Um, so yeah. it, it, I have some kids now yes. that are playing Portal Two. Mm. And that's that's one of the game. games that I'm really I'm really looking for angles of how this could be used because of course there's physics and math and and somebody out there has got to have some outside of the box thinking of how to make some connections. But you know what you're saying is that and some of the kids that I have are quite brilliant uh, to where they could play the game and then they could talk about or post or put within 3D Game Lab what they have learned. Yes. And be yep. able to create something and say, you know what, you could actually take this level and, uh, I don't know, there's this uh, going on, this lesson in physics, whether it's friction or um, uh, gravity, you know, yes. whatever you're working with, you know, they can talk and discuss about that and maybe upload some pictures and images of what they did. Uh, and then... As I as as a teacher, would I be able to see that and say, yes. okay, this fits in this area, this area, and this area? Yeah. Again, you you provide that level um, that is important to you and what you do, and can be made important to them and what they do. But you're really the 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 kind of arbiter of that of right of, the, of what's actually been learned, right? And the, and the meaning, and you're and you're helping yeah. establish that, and yeah. uh, and and what weight it should have. In, in the in the discussion, um, so and that's an individual. I mean, yeah. you know, like I said, Wormley, it, it's it's each student is different, and you've exactly. talked about that. Yeah, each students different. I can't. They are. There's no way that I can grade or assess or whatever you want to call it. Um, each student's different in how they learn, and they're going to do it at different times. Yep. And I need to look at it in that way, and so I can give whatever weight is. Is necessary based upon that student, and that's where we, as professionals, that's where we have to be trusted yep. as professionals. That you know, yes, we do know what your kid understands yep. and what they don't understand. Um, well, and what I what I mentioned before too is that in in this system, the curriculum is built from the ground up by teachers and students, but in a way that meets and demonstrates the national standards. Yeah. So we. It's, it can be a win-win because we're creating what needs to happen where we are to meet the needs of the students that we have. Well, we have five, yeah. there's going to be 500 teachers. Yep. 
I can't even imagine um, just from that of what's going to be built mm-hmm. uh, and, and created out there that's already going to be available for when this actually goes live yep. because this is the beta, yep. correct? Correct. And as it grows, then, like you said, more teachers add uh, curriculum in there, uh, quests. Uh, students start adding items in there. I'm really seeing this as something that could grow significantly. Okay, so let me talk a little bit about more about student voice in the system. Um, first mm-hmm. of all, you as a teacher, uh, as as kind of a guide to this process. By the way, in in the early in the early days of the development of this tool, we decided that the the user side was always going to be called the player, right? So you've got players in your class; they're playing the game, their own game. Um, and their path can be very different. They can choose different activities that other people won't choose. They can choose to jump off the 10-meter board rather than swim. But we're showing that they're learning the same thing. Then um, you, as the on as the teacher, by the way, um, I wanted to find a way to call that person the dungeon master. Um, <laughs> D- just say DM. Actually, they're called the designer manager. So we were able to hang Ooh. on to the yes. We love oh. them. You're awesome. That's, okay, that's a, that's I am a the little, DM. That's a little, uh, you know, little Easter egg that uh, that I put yeah. in there. So, so, so those that know will be yes, quite excited. They will. They'll 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 see the the, I'm the, the DM. DM. Yep, the DM. Okay, so, <laughs> um, you you have the ability to approve anything that goes in the system. If if a student um, wants to create their own quest, you as the uh, DM can allow uh, to grant them the ability to create a quest. Um, you can approve that quest and you can mark that quest up and you can even help them uh, make sense of what standards it meets and how much – how many points it should be worth and where it should fit. Um, they can actually contribute uh, to the thing, which is really important. Okay, We had this discussion um, recently. So Jane is this incredibly smart young woman who is really good at writing reviews. In fact, she loves writing reviews for Amazon. Um, traditionally, we don't have a way to give her credit for the high writing skill that she's exhibiting by being engaged in. This is something she's interested in. She's highly motivated to do it. But because there's no slot for it in the gradebook, we don't have a way to give that to her. But in this system, we can create a quest which allows her to do that. And we, instead of journaling in her traditional journal form, which is just a, a method of getting her to write, um, we can have a weekly, uh, you know, blog post that she can, you know, uh, put a URL in and show us what she's done. We can give her credit for what she's doing. Another kid might want to write game reviews. Exactly. Okay, so you 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 give them. I'm guessing that you tell the kids, okay, I need a writing assignment each week. What are some things that you guys like to write about? Are you posting some of these things? You know, what's going on? Some kid might get into sports, yeah. whatever. So they'd write about it and then be able to submit that. It's authentic. It's I mean, it's something that's meaningful to them, and it does what we need to do. Not not well for us, but also for um, for the people uh, who are interested in in making sure that we're we're meeting the standards with our kids. It gives them a way to look at how they're meeting the standards because the system well, tracks those things. And there's motivation. Yes. And that, that's 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 so huge. It's built on it's built on student and learner. I mean, just learner choice is so important. Okay, so so that's that's the piece. Um, so here's what's really interesting about uh, the system. Um, the learners have a voice in it that they haven't had before because when you complete a quest, um, it asks you a couple of questions. First of all, 
rate this uh, five star liquor scale. Um, What'd you say? Uh, it's a five star liquor scale. Yeah, I like that. I just wanted you to repeat that word. I, I appreciate that. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> so the five star liquor scale. So they they rate it. They tell you what they think of that small that that educational piece. Um, and I'll come back to why that's so important later. Um, they they t- say how long it took them, how many minutes it took them, and, and then they they can they've got a, the ability to write a comment that's visible to the other users. So they're they're rating it. They're helping us understand what the aggregate or average time is for that quest. And then all of that information is displayed to the other users when they're browsing possible quests. So I can look, I can say, well, this is worth 20 experience points. Um, average time is 10 minutes. That's pretty good. And it's got four stars. Let me see what everyone said about it. Oh, okay. This guy said, I like this quest. The, the video was short and informative and the narrator sounded – it was funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I might choose this quest based on what other users have said. Now, some teachers would say, well, what's the, what's the point in giving them that voice? Um, one, we can identify very quickly um, which quests are not attractive to students, which instructional interactions are failing them. Um, now, some teachers are going to be like, well, that's not very nice. I really like this. <laughs> They're going to take it personally. But, but- – but often that you know you can even you know approach the the students and say how do we fix this what can we do if i give you control um what would you suggest not just why is it bad but what can we do to make it better is it because oh the paper seemed really long by comparison yeah uh, you know that that's something we can address well how do how do we look at it what we've found in a year of of quest design um in the, the 100 students who have taken my I, I take that back 120 students who have taken uh my classes using this system we've discovered a few things pedagogically one quests that are shorter and easier to achieve in a short amount of time by the way the research tells us that the attention span and uh you know just attention to detail that students can provide hovers somewhere around 18 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. um that's the length of quest people prefer. If they're even long, in a game, even like World of Warcraft, just well, doing a quick little yes. quest on there. Well, most, with, with, with the exception of kind of level boss kind of uh, quests, most quests take you between uh, twenty and forty-five minutes. Some stretch into an hour. Um, but even in in game design, we're seeing that that multiple repeatable, repeatable even short quests. Um, are more attractive. We found that to be true in the educational environment too. If yes. I if I can do this in in twenty minutes, so so some people would think, well, gosh, a lot of my stuff requires a lot more time than that. Well, it does if you leave it as one piece. That's another pedagogical thing we discovered that we could take large assignments that were really meaningful, and students, when they were done with, were especially proud of and and liked them, and break them into their component pieces. For example, a PowerPoint presentation. Um, quest one of, of a series, and by the way, you can you can set them as prerequisites to one another. So the second one isn't even visible until the first one is done. And the completion of the five yeah, nice. comes with a bonus. It comes with a badge that shows up on your <laughs> awards page. This is the way this is the way it works. Um, that that level one for creating the PowerPoint is create ten to fifteen slides and put your slide headings. Um, you know, that's a 10 minute quest. Um, the, the follow up to that one is go through and create this slide, this slide, and this slide by these pieces. You break it down. You break it down into its component pieces. Um, the students can then 
spend that 30 minutes before they go to soccer practice and achieve something, not you know, compound the frustration by not being able to get things done, but actually achieve something meaningful and continue so, progress. I, I, yeah, because I'm sitting here going, how in the world do you do that for civilization? But then it's like, okay, build a city, build right. a – Build a Rome. You could say you're going to be Julius Caesar. You could set all the parameters there. Build build a city uh, and create uh, a worker and a warrior or whatever. You know, just have some prerequisites. Right. And that would be step number one. Save it. Save your progress. Okay, you're done. Yep. You're done. Next make, step make a screen is cap. Um, yep. answer this question. Um, yep. Why is it important to have? Is it more important to have more workers than soldiers? You know, yep. why? Why do you think? Um, you know, and to actually engage that discussion. Where did you build your city? Yeah. Why did you choose that location? Yeah, that. Wow, and and, and that's that's the time piece. Yeah, that's so, right. So you, we're, we break them into these you know smaller pieces, and this is one of the things we discovered um, through through doing this. The the big quest didn't perform well. When and when we you know I sat down next to the students and said, "Tell me, how do we fix this? Uh, it's too long. Would it be?" Still worth doing if if you got 15 points for this half of it and 15 points for this half of it, and you didn't have to do them in the same day. Oh yeah, that'd be a lot better. Okay. That makes sense. There we that go. Makes sense. And do you have some kids that like, – I'm using the civilization example. Mm-hmm. Do you have some kids that would just say, uh, you know what? I'm going to do this quest. I'm going to power gonna through going. it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to power through it. And, and, and that's something where that's motivation. If they want to do it, they can't. If they're excited about it, they will. And yeah. um, because we're – you know. We're tracking, and and unfortunately, your users can't. Hopefully, we'll we'll find a way to. Actually, there is a place that they can actually look at some of the screenshots of the system because I think that that's got to be important to some folks. They want. We're talking about this concept, but what does it look like to actually be in the system? Three uh, D Game Lab. Org. It's all spelled out. Three um, D Game Lab. Org actually has a media page. It's a guild site, um, but actually has a media page where you can actually see images from the current system. Um, but uh, but you you can you can build in uh, all of those pieces. Uh, one of the things I was, I was going to say is that um, when students actually are able to see that information, how how long it's going to take me, what the other players think of it, um, it helps them to be more motivated because things suddenly become achievable yes. in the time that they have. Um, that makes sense. Um, you know, we we issue these assignments and we've all done them. Uh, we issue these assignments that are are pretty big quite often, and whether we are willing to uh, put a name on it or not, every student who takes our class views our class as a game. They they look at us, they size us up, and they figure out what it's going to take to win this game. And their winning condition may be different than our winning condition. Their, How tough's your DM? Exactly. <laughs> they, what do I have to do? Is this the class where I, if I just come up and talk to him every day and act really interested, that I'll get a little bit of extra, you know, sway? Or is this the one where I'm just going to have to keep my nose down and get everything turned in on time? You know, they they figure out what the game is, how to beat this boss, yes. so to speak. And and all students do that from the very start. They get really savvy at that at at really young ages. Um, and it's because so much of our game. Has been arbitrary, you know things that they really that really don't connect to the learning that they have to do or that they want to do um, are necessary to win our class to win our game. They have to figure out what the tricks are, what the cheats are to get through it. Um, you know, pretty quickly you figure out is this the class that I can do the homework on the bus on the way to school that day, or is this the one that I'm going to have to knock out 
as soon as I get home before I eat dinner. Um, but when we expose the rules of the game to them and say, this is the winning condition, you can get here, you can take all different paths to get here, here's how you do it. Um, and and the your progress is always displayed to you in the form of progress bars. Um, in, in the system, you've always got your progress bar for the group or a class, and you can see how close you are to the winning condition and experience points. You also have your ranks and grades, levels. So – at 300 experience points, you go from Explorer Second Class to Explorer First Class. And when you do that, new things are available to you. Then, if, if, if you decide in your class, then you can use, uh, you know, the iPads. Then you can do, you know, mm. these different. So it's not a, as we talked before, you know, before the show, it, it's not like you have this character and you get into a virtual world. You know, and you use this character in a virtual world. But what you're doing is that the level they have the character, but as and they can do really cool things with that those characters. Whether adding, you know, you have badges, and then you actually have different classes of characters. Correct. You can you can avatars. set that within your own class. So if you if you want to describe seriously, if you want to say um, in your class that there are five levels of um, of you know student. And from zero to one thousand experience points is called F. <laughs> you know, from <laughs> from from one thousand right. to twelve hundred is called D. I mean, you could do that. You could do that. We wouldn't uh, do that, but I, mean, I yes. wouldn't do that either because yeah. I don't want to so, grade them. Yes. No. So as as they get to a different level, they you might. What you're suggesting there is that maybe they have access to another piece of technology within the classroom. Right. Maybe they have more freedom within the classroom. In my college class, um, you know, we have typical university attendance requirements for classes. Um, and I, I made a deal with them. I said, you know, I think we can be a little bit more flexible on this, but I would be willing to let anybody who, and I called out the level, uh-huh. um, got to this point to only come to the Wednesday class. You know, you wouldn't have to come to the Wednesday class. <laughs> Let me guess. Nobody showed up on, the, uh, on, the, you on would, those other days. Some, some students were highly motivated by that opportunity. <laughs> others, others, you know, you know, very clearly said, no, I kind of like, you know, you're a nice guy. I, I kind of like being here. This you're a nice is, DM. Yeah, you're a nice dungeon master. Um, and, and so what, what's interesting about that is that your class will be different than my class and we don't have to standardize those things. This system allows you to, uh, to create a free form version of your own class. Um, some, uh, you know, some folks, uh, in fact, one of the, one of the folks who, who has been testing the system for us, using it in their own class, um, decided that at certain levels, um, they would expose certain kind of materials. Um, we've got these video games over here in the corner. We've got the Wii over here in the corner. And, uh, when, if you are a, whatever the level, we can call it whatever we want, uh, a sorcerer, you can do the quests that are associated with this gaming system. So, um, and again, they still have the choice to choose any of the activities within the system, but they might, those, a, a small population of the students might be motivated by the Wii. Others might not be interested at, at all. Um, and a system and an approach like this gives us a more reasonable approach because it's, it's the accounting that is so problematic. I mean, we could do this in a classroom without this tool. Um, but how we would keep those records oh, ourselves. I love Excel, but man, oh man. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> and, and you know what? There are teachers, probably those who are listening, who have done some variation of a game-based approach in their class. Right. But it is. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a record-keeping. record-keeping is, uh, yeah. it is. And so, is. so our system allows them, allows you to do that. Um, so you can, you can capitalize on the different motivations. And if we're, if we're thinking about Chris Bateman's work, and if you haven't looked into Chris Bateman, um, he developed a, a, a model for gaming play types called the DGD1 model. And it talks about what different people are interested. Some are really interested in just conquering. Conquering other players, conquering quests, mm-hmm. you know, as many quests. They'll take all the easy quests they can and knock as many of the easy quests out as they can. Others really like just the exploration. I want to see what this is all about. There are different play, play styles, very similar to learning styles, but different play styles in, in games. And by creating opportunities for them to explore the things they're interested in, we find this buy-in and motivation that transcends the game itself and kind of exists in these pockets of, of game. In essence, the, what we're talking about is metagaming, taking a game layer and placing it over the top of what they do. So let me, let me step back and just kind of go big picture for a moment, and then I'll, I'll even answer some, uh, some questions. Um, I, and before I forget, and I know we're running out of time, but I, I mm-hmm. want to mention I want to mention teachers as gamers. So don't let me forget about that. I'm writing it down. The right, teachers, the teachers are going to play this game too, and I'll tell you how. Yay! Um, so uh, the the concept of the metagame, um, and and here's where here's where I'm going to talk a little, uh, Jim G. Um, the, he said on your podcast that mm-hmm. we are now facing a future where people are going to learn 24-7 in and out of school. He also said um, that uh, that schools have to compete uh, with the guy who, um, you know, who can log in in the middle of the night and learn as much as he wants to about geography um, whenever he wants Yet when they, the kids, you know, when he, the kid places himself in the classroom, he's got to wait for us to feed him what we think he wants. Um, and he waits for it to be meaningful or reasonable. Kids don't have to, to wait, um, to learn other places. Certainly not on the internet. They can learn whatever they want and for good and for bad. They can learn whatever they want when they want. And they're keenly aware that what we're showing, what we're demonstrating to them is very different than the way the world is. Um, he said, I think we've got to get out of seeing education as a separate domain and start thinking about learning across institutions and a lifetime and, of course, uh, 24-7 on demand. And that's, mm-hmm. that's ultimately what schools have to compete with. In a system like this, I can sign up for your group or your class and I can take your class and complete those quests. I can also sign up for my, uh, my tennis preseason prep, uh, group that may be actually sponsored by USA Tennis. I mean, it's a, it's a group that I can join on, on the system from USA Tennis. I can join that group and be completing some quests in that. Um, I can also be wow. part of my church group. And so we're talking about um, getting credit for things you're learning in all of these disparate locations in one massive, ever-growing, free database of online learning materials. That's awesome. So uh, I, I love Biggest Loser. I'm going to join the Biggest Loser group that's based <laughs> here in my my town. Thankfully, um, you know I, I don't I only have about ten pounds to lose, but hey, that's that's a big weight <laughs> to me. Um, there you go. 
but uh, but you know those quests can teach me about better nutrition, and I can complete all of the quests and get my nutrition badge, and uh, maybe maybe I get free concert tickets to when Bob comes into town and does it, you know, a, a big big thing, and if I. Create badges and awards and achieve again ten times in ten days. I can get an achievement for that. If I complete these five quests before this date, I can get this badge, and this badge automatically kicks out this uh, this printable coupon that I can walk down to the Baskin Robbins and get a free ice cream. So you are big picture, yeah. I mean, because yeah. this this has a lot of. A lot of potential in many different areas. Yep. My, my colleague is, and, oh, and co-inventor Lisa Dolly um, describes it as as the Facebook of education. I, I right. think of it as the YouTube of education because I'm thinking of people just putting in content. But, right. Um, but I can tell you that the result of teaching this way for the last uh, year, um, as as my primary, uh, you know, course construction model. Um, has been incredibly liberating to the students. They love it. As a teacher, I've gone from a lecture and workshop model, and I, you know, I try to be funny and do some cool PowerPoint, but gone from lecture and workshop to open lab and raids. So I say on Tuesday, for the first half hour, we're going to do this quest together. Everybody who wants to get this one done, we're going to do it together, and we're going to. Uh, showed off. I can I can look at the system and I can say, you know what? I've got these six students who have all accepted this quest. I can fire a quick message to them in the system. Say, hey, guess what? On Wednesday, I'm going to set up a table and we can work on this together. And I'll give you all the help you need. And you can actually combine students who are in the same place and allow them to socialize around it. And as Jim G said, uh, designers of learning. Yes. So, and as my mentor. Uh, Joe White, who is a phenomenal social studies teacher here in uh, the Bloomington Normal area, he's like, it's all about the creation, yeah. and the students should be the ones working. Yeah, you know, you shouldn't be totally worn down. I mean, you should be. You should, could be worn down by going around and helping and mentoring, but the kids are the ones that should be working. Yeah. Okay. So the next level, um, the system is already designed to make. It, your instruction and your class better because students have a voice. They can contribute, and even better, they can tell us what works and what doesn't. So how do we make instruction better? Well, we, we know when we're dealing with an online interface, whether it's an online tool or a classroom thing, there are certain things that, that students really say that they need that we as teachers provide. One of them is prompt feedback. Um, they don't like turning in an assignment and waiting three weeks to, uh, get, to get a grade dropped on their desk. And it, I'm bad. That, I, I'm, I'm, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's t- difficult right. to it is. have the time to grade. It is. You'd be amazed at how much easier it is to grade smaller pieces. Um, in many ways, you can simply put eyes on and, and determine if it's right or not um, or if it needs further investigation. 
you know, you can you can look at something very quickly and prototype when it's smaller, when it's a three paragraph blog. Um, so, do they get experience right away, or is I still have to check it off? Correct. You have two choices right now. You can um, you For can completing allow something to automatically award if we think it's right. something that um, you know that we have a trust in the students that they they did complete it. Watching a video, reading a short excerpt, um, signing up for something, you know, something that we try to re- you know in this system we try to reward students for every behavior. Um, so that they can continually see growth through the system. So 10 points, maybe 10 X- XP's uh, experience points for completing it, and then you might, once it's uh, completed at the mastery level, then you get 50 experience points I, out on top I of that. Might, I might throw an award on there, you know, another 25-point bonus for uh, for really good writing. And then they get an, a writer award, and it's the third one that they've wow. got this semester. And all of their peers can see their gamer card in the system and see that they're getting all – I mean, they can share awards. They get notified when – So you get a little peer pressure. I mean, and that's good too. I mean, you we, know, to have a little peer pressure the there. the socialization. Yeah. Yeah. The socialization around the successes especially. Well, Not around the failures, gaming, but yeah. Right. And in gaming, that happens. You Absolutely. know, hey, I completed these, uh, you know, these levels in Call of Duty or I'm this level in World of Warcraft. Correct. So, you know, Lucas, <laughs> I'll get on Lucas Gillespie. He has this whole... You know, avatars on his, you know, these are the, the characters that I have, and, and I am quite jealous, Lucas, just to let you know. But, um, you know, Lucas all the himself games... is a level 85. Yeah, exactly. And then Jim G spouting off, I played this game, I played this game, and I was like, holy cow, how do you have time to do it? But yes, the, the peer pressure there, mm-hmm. you know, making me feel I need to get in. To fully into World of Warcraft to you know level up, uh, yeah, that's a good thing. That that's not a positive. Peer pressure is good. Right. Uh, encouraging the socialization. Okay, so the the teachers can also play the game, and here's how the teachers play the game. Um, when quests that they've created receive four or five star ratings, why don't they get experience points? If they've created something good and the students really connect to it, Ooh. why not? Um, when a quest that you've selected gets picked up by another group or course, or you know, mm. why not get a little capital in the game? What 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 else is important in in teaching? Well, prompt feedback. So if I if I review a quest within two hours of its completion, I get a great bonus within twenty four a, a bonus, but not quite as much within forty eight. Still a little bonus, but not a ton. And then just kind of incremental amounts. Uh, right. if, it, if it's beyond 48 hours, what, what what does that look like if I am for a teacher am rewarded in the system for the things that I'm that I do right? Um, also, if I give feedback, there's a little thumbs up, thumbs down. Was this helpful? Um, and the, as the student um, reads my feedback and give a little thumbs up, little thumbs down, um, I can I can then find out if it's a thumbs down. I can I can dig into that a little bit deeper. Well. Tell, tell me what else I can – I mean we're trying to encourage through the system the naturally good teaching behaviors that we see from fantastic teachers all the time. You know, True engagement in, in what their students are doing, a high interest in making things meaningful and relevant um, and, and you know, giving them that feedback. So you know, is, there, is there a bonus that, or an achievement that could be given to a teacher when your quest has been completed a hundred times? Sure. That's that's a mark of, of of something good you've done, you know, a quest that's completed a bunch, right, and right. and then those those you know those XP values just like in in uh, in other systems are available to your peers, you know, um, you, you're getting achievements for 
you know, for the first uh, hundred quests you've approved uh, or the first thousand, you get these badges and, and, and all of these things become available to you. Um, so Lucas and I can't compete against each other. Absolutely. Awesome. You're going down, Lucas. <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, so that, that is the basic idea of the system. Um, and is it, it the interface? Uh, is it like a Moodle? Is it what? What? What it, are you using? It is a proprietary uh, uh, system that we have built ourselves. Whoa! Yeah. Okay. Um, when we, well, you guys are good. When we looked around, uh, we did not find any metagaming tool that did what we wanted. We knew that we wanted to be able to create and share quests. We knew that we wanted students to be able to choose what they wanted, and th- there wasn't a system. There was no game right. interface. So right. Inspired by all the games that we play and the way that we reward and and some of the you know the best minds and I you know obviously uh, Jim G um, you know of course we we talk about Tom Chatfield of late mm-hmm. uh, fun oh, Inc. he's he's good it's very fantastic and a lot of his principles are kind of incorporated into into our thinking um, you know very very important thinking is happening about the way that people learn. That paradigm shift, yeah, especially through, and so we're starting to see this come to, and so this summer will be the will be the launch of this. We're going to get, you know, four four hundred ninety nine uh, fantastic teachers in the system, <laughs> and, one, and one bad one, and this Sorry. other guy, yeah, this um, other guy's actually, yeah, yeah, he's got a podcast, so he's pretty good. No, I'm ah, just yeah, yeah. No, and, and so, we're going to teach, and we're going to teach this system. We're going to teach them what we've learned over a year of kind of a, a game based approach to help people actually create something engaging and not just another version of a grade book. Now, are you filled? Is it filled up yet? Um, it is not. We're still uh, accepting folks, but it will probably fill up in the next month. Is my guess? Yeah, and, and gamers, we <laughs> gamers that are teachers. Uh, okay, the word is will spread quickly. Well, and, and eventually, this system will be free to all. Um, right. We have decided early on here that we we don't want to just open up a system without at least getting some folks started by playing a little bit. And everybody who actually joins the system will complete a few quests before they can actually create quests. Um, and there'll be kind of a big pool. You can do some fun stuff. And so that you actually get to experience what this is like, because frankly, um, teachers, um, even the smartest teachers have no experience. And I didn't going into it, have no experience um, with this type of quest based learning. Right. Um, Every teacher who goes through the camp this summer, the winning condition for them is they get the tool for a year with their students, and they will be, in essence, the astronauts um, who pilot a, a very new and different uh, right. way of doing this. I, I don't know at what point we'll open the beta to a public beta. Um, it, it'll be relatively so – I you know maybe – um, maybe early next year. I've, none of that's been decided. Um, okay. But uh, but we, we we want we I mean we really believe that we're we're going to create the world's largest database of learning materials anywhere. And that's 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 awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, we're running out of time here. We are. And, and we're we're thinking I'll just do a little short snippet. But like you said, when you're <laughs> passionate about something, yeah, you you have something put together that is really exciting. Uh, it's, it's tough to not talk about it. Um, this is great. I'm, I'm going to have to figure out because we've got a lot of information here. Uh, if there's people out there that want to, you know, contact, you can contact me through, you know, EdReach. I know that, uh, Chris, uh, it's, what's the website again? 
It's 3dgamelab.org. And I'm sure he would be glad to answer any questions yep. for you. Um, but uh, thank you for listening uh, to this week's Ed Gamer podcast. Please follow us on edreach.us and also follow all the great podcasts and blog posts on the EdReach Network. Have a great week. Good night.